Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Shwetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmik Ulu. And today's text, The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner, takes place in a fictionalized town in rural Tennessee, the traditional home of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee peoples. Mm-hmm. Joe, mm-hmm. we have a boy protagonist for you today in book club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of technically two boy protagonists, right? Technically two boy protagonists. Yeah. 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 How are you feeling about, well, I'll give a synopsis, but I just kind of want to know what you thought of the book before we jump in. So I quite like this. We did get a couple of responses from listeners, Victoria, Emily, and Tea Books and Chocolate. And it was Tea Books and Chocolate who said that it took them about halfway into the book, aka spoiler right around Travis's death before they really got Mm -hmm. hooked and said that they couldn't put the book down. And I do agree. I feel like the book had a bit of a slow start, but once I was in it, it was a race to the finish because yeah, I really enjoyed specifically the male characters. I have Mm -hmm. thoughts on Lydia. We'll talk about Lydia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But just for some context, uh, The Serpent King is the story of Dill, Lydia, and Travis. And Dill is sort of nominally the central protagonist. He has the richest backstory and he focalizes more chapters than anyone else. Okay. Dill is the son of a preacher, but not just a preacher, like a snake handling Pentecostal Mm -hmm. preacher. He comes from the sect of pentecostalism i guess uh that involves things like drinking poison and surviving to show that god (laughs) has protected you and handling venomous snakes he is not into any of that (laughs) dill is like please don't associate me with this (laughs) particularly because his father is currently in prison his father is in prison for child pornography and as the story unfolds we come to realize that Dill's mother blames Dill for this. Dill's mother has convinced herself that it must have been Dill's pornography on her husband's computer and not his. Mm -hmm. And Dill testified in court that it wasn't his. And so all of the people who go to the church, it turns out, basically blame Dill for his father's failings. Yeah. And then also Dill's mother got into a very serious car accident coming Mm -hmm. back from the prison because she's working long hours to make ends meet because they are dirt poor. And then due to her medical bills, they are now hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. And so for Dill, this is life. He's going to finish high school. He's going to take full-time hours at the grocery store where he works after school. Mm -hmm. He's going to try to pay down the family's debt. That's all that life has in store for Dill, or so he thinks at the beginning of the text. Yeah, he has no future that he can conceive of. And his mom purposefully reminds him of this Mm -hmm. whenever he even tries to broach a subject that doesn't involve this immediate path. And yeah, we'll, we'll have more to say about that. 
Yeah, so there's a sense, like, he increasingly discovers a desire to see what else is out there in the world, to play his music professionally and mm. not religiously. He's known within the church for his religious music, but he has moved away from that and started to write his own songs. Um, and also the idea of going to college, which for his mother is not just about rejecting the family financially and leaving her in the lurch. It's mm -hmm. about rejecting the family sort of culturally, socially, spiritually, because yes. all he will learn at university is how to not believe in God, she believes. Yes, and that is basically all that she is interested in. She needs him to make money to help her out and also to stay as devoutly faithful as possible. And she can't see him for who he is. No. At the same time, we have his two best friends, uh, Travis and Lydia. Travis is a total adorable nerd. He hmm. loves fantasy books and he hides inside this world of fantasy and as you realize as the novel progresses he doesn't just hide in that world of fantasy because he's ostracized at school he mm -hmm. hides in that world of fantasy because his father is abusive yeah his older brother has died in iraq i think mm -hmm. and he's working in a lumber mill under his father's control basically all the time but his imagination is his own and he spends a lot of time reading fantasy books and reading forums for fantasy books and kind of hiding in that world. He yeah. does have a mother who loves him, but she can't stand up to his father. And so he's pretty alone at home. Uh-huh. And he doesn't talk about it. And Dill doesn't really talk about his issues either. So there's mm -hmm. a silencing and an isolation that's happening. And that becomes important when we get to Lydia. Yeah, because there are things that Dill and Travis share with each other about their shared experiences of class and difficult families and violence mm -hmm. that they will never tell Lydia because yeah. Lydia is the daughter of a dentist, which mm -hmm. in this town makes her like the richest the person richest in town. Yep. She too is ostracized at school. That's why she hangs out with Dill and with Travis. But she's ostracized because she has this blog where she writes about fashion, things that people in the town aren't interested in. And also she basically denigrates all the people who live in the town on her blog all the time. Mm -hmm. So Lydia's is more of a self-selected isolation. And Lydia has the benefit of financial means. She has the benefit of options, right? Everybody's wondering what she's going to do after high school because the world is open to her. Mm -hmm. And she has the benefit of parents who love and support her and really yes. want to see her succeed. And what we see in the difference within this friend group is not just the difference of class, although that's really important to just mm -hmm. what they can each imagine for themselves. Yes. But we also see the difference that it makes to have parents who don't suck. Oh my gosh. Wild yeah. difference. This book is so interested in how your financial means and where you grow up. But yeah, like this book is so interested in just how minute infinitesimal changes in the way that you're raised can detrimentally or like massively affect your future. And even like mm -hmm. what you think of yourself when you think of what you can accomplish or become in the future. And what's fascinating is that for much of the book, particularly for about the first half of the book, Lydia can't even imagine a world where you don't believe in yourself, where your parents don't have your back. Like she just, she knows intellectually that life is harder for Dill and for Travis than it is for her, mm -hmm. but she doesn't really understand why. And so she thinks like just telling Dill, well, just go to college is like the solution. 
my god, Prenna. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I I had very strong reactions to Lydia, and actually, I'm gonna kick it over to one of our first responses here. So we did hear from Emily, and she dedicated a fairly substantial part of her response to Lydia as a character. So I'm gonna read. I found Lydia really difficult to empathize with. While I recognize there are countless wonderful ways to express feminist and individuality, including fashion, she lauds her fashion blog as being about empowerment, and I can't really see the link there. She gets endless free stuff for conforming to and promoting what broader society expects of a woman, and it's quite hard to believe that she's so unpopular at school as a result, and I agree with that, Emily. Oh, I don't. You guys didn't grow up in a small town. That is so clear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So Lydia ruthlessly mines her scrappy small town held me down backstory for her college admission essay while never using her blog platform to stand up for her maligned best friends out of fear that they would bring her down with them. She makes Dill her passion project and she has all of these advantages that we come to expect better of her because she has money, because she has this class, because she by default we assume she's white because we're not told otherwise and honestly as a result it makes her really really hard to connect with as a reader sorry this is me segueing from emily into my (laughs) own thoughts and there were so many times and i understand it's the point of the conflict lydia Mm -hmm. doesn't understand or appreciate the realities of dill and travis's situations but i hated this character brenna yeah no i don't i don't like her either and i'm not I'm not defending her when I say that this is a character who is absolutely going to be ostracized in a small town. She's everything that the people in this town hate. Think about the way she dresses, right? Mm -hmm. To them, she's always in costume. Think about the way she comes from a family that isn't overtly religious. Think about the fact that she's completely independently minded. She doesn't... Everything about her is about the future. And... Mm -hmm. What's really clear from a character like Dill or a character like Travis is the vast majority of kids in this town aren't well served by thinking about the future. Right. And so that's what makes her unpopular, right? Mm-hmm. She's like this symbol of everyone else's stuckness. What's yeah. so frustrating, I think what's so frustrating about her as a character from middle class reader is that it's it punches extremely close to home. Oh, interesting. So you you think I was feeling uncomfortable by the fact that I was seeing maybe a little too much of myself in here? I think that things like a college admissions essay, those structures are absolutely written. They're created for someone like Lydia to do exactly what mm-hmm. Emily's describing here, to mine oh, yeah. the worst yeah. parts of your life and to, to put them on display. I also totally understand why, given what would come up if you Googled Dill's name, like, would putting him on the blog actually help him? I don't mm-hmm. know, right? I guess my my thing about Lydia is that I think she's terrible in almost exactly the same way that much of mainstream society is terrible. <laughs> and I think that's what makes her hard. Tea Books and Chocolate actually gets at this a little bit. She says, Lydia is a little too close to home in some ways, and I found myself getting frustrated with her in ways that reminded me of my younger self. She's yeah. a deeply self-involved teenager who because she has the benefit of forward-thinking parents and the opportunity to get out in a town where nobody else does, she knows about things like applying for college, right? She has all this social capital 
mm-hmm. that someone like Dill doesn't have access to. But if no one else in the community has that social capital, that doesn't make you popular. <laughs> no, and honestly, it wasn't her sort of choice to be ostracized that was driving me batty. There are so many repeated conversations between her and Dill where they just... Oh, she's a bad friend. Like She's a terrible friend. A That's what really friend. bothers me, Brenna. Yes. Like, in the aftermath of Travis's death, because it's a very weird scene. He is He's just randomly shot by passerbys because awful. he is out trying to earn extra money. And in the aftermath of his death, we see Lydia and Dill start to lean on each other more. They become romantically involved because they realize how important they are to one another. But it takes almost up until this point for her to realize that A, Dill and Travis are not like her, and she never Mm -hmm. thought to ask how their lives are different or make any effort to understand why that's important. But like, he tells her, I don't have the money. I can't leave my mom like this. And she's like, "Mm, yeah, you can just go to college. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, Lydia, do you even like she never pauses to even make the smallest iota of effort to understand what Dill is going through? her dad nudges her too right like over and over her dad sort of gently tries to say to her like these two boys have a very different life at home than you have Mm -hmm. he's like please open your eyes to that and but she can't and in many ways i think there's something here about how easy it is to not see what life looks like on the other side of the tracks Mm -hmm. because if middle-class people, if comfortable people weren't so comfortable looking away from poverty, poverty wouldn't continue to exist, right? Yeah. I don't think Lydia's a bad person. I think she's an objectively bad friend. (laughs) I don't think she's a bad person. I do think she's a deeply self-involved teenager who unfortunately makes us a series of wrong decisions. And I think the reason I like that Lydia exists is because we get to have Lydia's dad, who is like dad goals. I aspire to be Dr. Blankenship when I grow up. Yes. Yeah. He is the Stanley Tucci of this novel. (laughs) He is the perfect parent. He knows exactly what to say. He's super cool. He owns a collection of guitars. It's yeah, he's an amazing, amazing character. He's so good. And the thing I like best about him is he sort of collects the traumatized kids around him, right? Like, he steps in for Dill when he knows that no one else is going to. And because that's the person he is, and because that's what's in his heart, when Travis is killed, he blames himself, right? Mm -hmm. Because he bought half of Travis's firewood before Travis went out to that rural road to eventually get shot by meth heads. And all he can think is, if I had bought the whole load of firewood, then Travis would still be with us. Like, right? for all that Lydia is incapable of looking around or seeing the consequences of her behavior, it's almost like Dr. Blankenship has double doses of it, that Mm -hmm. it inures her to having to look at the Mm -hmm. consequences of her actions because her dad's willing to take that all on for himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess I should also give Lydia a certain amount of credit because her arc in the book is she starts as this very privileged, entitled person and through her relationship with both Travis, but more so Dill, by the end of the book, you do get the impression that she is a little bit more aware of why 
friendship and recognizing where you're from are important things that she needs to not just acknowledge, but also take ownership and responsibility of. So even though, you know, her, her destination remains the same, she's going to go live in a $3,000 a month apartment in New York with a bunch of influencers. Blah. <laughs> you get the impression that she's a better person and she has a, a deeper understanding of who she is and where she comes from. But you did mention Dr. Blankenship, and one of the interesting things is how quickly and readily people respond to the good parents in this book, or the good role models, per se. So we have Dr. Blankenship, we have uh, G.M. Pennington, who is the author of Travis's fantasy books, who, you know, Lydia uses her influence to actually get him to make a stopover in their small Mm -hmm. town so that Travis can meet his author idol. And it's the best experience of Travis's life. And I love that section of the book, because there's so little hope in the beginning parts of this book that when you actually see one of the characters achieve even the smallest little Mm. measure of success it feels like the world has opened up and there's rainbows everywhere i love that scene for a bunch of reasons it's totally flashy of the way lydia decides to finally like step in and do something positive it's Mm -hmm. it's extremely on brand for lydia a hundred percent (laughs) yep but it's also really lovely i was worried at the start of that scene that all we'd end up with is travis feeling worse like he'd clam Mm -hmm. up in front of his idol and and the whole thing would just make him feel even more distant from this world that he so loves right and instead we get to see travis blossom in this really magical way Mm -hmm. yeah he decides that he wants to become a writer and he he's able to leverage this into like excitement about the girl that he's been internet dating from afar and it's it's just a really magical lovely scene of course it happens about you know 20 pages before he's killed (laughs) because drive the knife in a little deeper jeff zentner well it's funny it's almost like zentner can hear the critics saying well this is a really easy thing that's happened like this is a bit of deus ex machina and then (laughs) And being like, oh, yeah, well, guess what? Actually, I was just making you think Travis had a future. Well, yeah. And overall, the book does an interesting thing where I think so much of it is grounded in reality that by the end of the book, when Lydia has gotten everything that she could have ever wanted and Dill makes a miraculous escape after nearly dying by suicide, I feel bad saying it, but it did feel a little bit like a you know what, we need to give everybody a happy, shiny ending because so much of this has been terrible. And it was earned, and I actually cried, but (laughs) at the same time, it did feel like a kind of safe, happy way out. I think it was, but I also think there's not a lot of books for young people about rural poverty. Mm -hmm. And I think that Zentner is trying to not shy away from the horrors of what happens when people are destitute and i think that's why travis is sort of sacrificed in the way that he is because that is a very common ending and at the same time offer a kind of hopefulness for a character like dill you know dill has to very consciously make the decision to choose life Mm -hmm. and if you're picking this book up you should probably be aware and i if i had remembered (laughs) before i read it i would have trigger warning it but there is some Mm -hmm. conversation about suicide in the book 
when Dill makes the decision to choose life, it's almost like Zentner is rewarding him for it, right? Like that it's not like everything happens easily after that. It's like a ton of work and he has to have a really awful conversation, two really awful conversations with his mother. Oh my God. Oh boy, we'll we'll get there. Um, And he, he does have to go through a tremendous amount of sort of personal sacrifice. I was really, really grateful that... They had their little romantic fling, but that it didn't change either of their life plans. Oh, I think thank that goodness. was really yes. important. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that was really critical, especially for Dill, right? Because there was the other ending that I saw happening was Dill sort of follows Lydia and like sleeps on her couch and just kind yeah. of like has this life as her accessory, which right. would have been awful, right? Instead, we see him going to what is ultimately a glorified community college, but it's a mm-hmm. place where he will be able to blossom and grow. Yes. And that's, it's such a happy ending. And it feels so contrasted to how bleak the first half of the book is that you're mm-hmm. right. It's almost like, oh, well, this is, you know, it's a little bit convenient, but I also think it's so necessary. Yeah. No, I I agree completely. I thought it might go the other way where Lydia would decide, oh, you know what? I do value Dill so much. I'm going to abandon my dumb plans to go to New York and be a fashion person. And I will go with him instead to this smaller school where I can maintain genuine relationships. So I'm glad we didn't get either one of those outcomes Mm -hmm. because I think they would have felt especially disingenuous. This Mm -hmm. feels like a bit of a character reward where, yes, it's probably a little artificial and optimistic. But you know what? These kids earned it. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. They so earned it. (laughs) But. I want to kick it back to Victoria, who wrote about how much they appreciated the difficulty and the anxiety that comes with thinking about the future and Mm. how important these decisions are to young people in particular. So they write, not to mention that this book deals with the process of transitioning from high school to university post-graduation extremely well. And then Victoria makes this uh, a personal connection. So they say, In my final year of high school, the fear of the future was all-encompassing. I was worried about what university I would go to, if they would accept me, how I would deal with the finances, whether I could convince my mom to move, and whether my future was as bright as I hoped it would be. And I really get that, because we've got two polar opposite situations, right? Like Lydia knows exactly what she wants to do. She has all of her hopes pinned on going to New York and Dill sees no future for himself until they do this marathon all nighter trying to get him into a local community college. But he still doesn't entirely know if it's the right thing to do. He just thinks it's the only thing that will save his life because staying in the small town is death. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated the way the text deals with how different the experience of of the end of high school is for different kinds of kids you know mm-hmm. like it's optimistic and exciting and fun for Lydia i don't think she has any fear she she no. worries about leaving dill but she yes. knows that her life is bigger than this town she's been berating her father about it for apparently about 18 years mm-hmm. But for someone like Dill, it's really fraught. It's about losing people. Like, I don't think we talk enough about how the end of high school for a lot of folks is a bit of a bereavement. It's like I'm Mm -hmm. giving up this thing that I know to move into this totally unknown world and I'm doing it without any of my people, right? Yeah. And I just think, you know, for all of the 
issues in the book with maybe voice and perspective some of which tea books and chocolate points out right like there's a bit of a flattening between the character voices sometimes yeah yeah i think dill's emotional world is really well articulated and Mm -hmm. um for better or for worse because sometimes i am like deep in the bleakest of bleak perspectives (laughs) with him so many feels in this book if we're being honest so many We've talked a little bit about the class. We've talked about some of the teenage characters. Let's talk about these parents a bit more. Because we have to address just how awful Dill's parents are. We do. And I just want to make one comment about dynamic in the text. What's interesting is that Zentnermin seems to be suggesting that it's the whole family ecosystem that matters. You know, the Blankenships are like a whole family united and they don't always agree and like we know about some you know minor disagreements between the Blankenships but there's this general sense that like the family is like a ship and everyone's headed in the same direction Mm -hmm. in Travis's family his mother loves him his mother loves him with her whole soul so much and it's not enough no it's not enough to protect him from the horrific influence and I can't remember who wrote in about toxic masculinity but that whole family is like steeped, utterly steeped in toxic masculinity. And so the love of his mother is not enough. And then you've got Dill's family where Dill is just not a priority. And Mm -hmm. everything is more important than Dill to his parents. Faith, literally money, (laughs) reputation, all more important than Dill himself. Yeah, there's a slight condemnation about the fact that Dill's parents got married very young, and that Mm. did sort of impact not just their lived experiences, but also their expectations of what people can and should become. Well, she um, was young. He was not so young. Oh, that's right. She was 16 Mm -hmm. when they kind of first got together, and I can't remember how old he was. He's a decade older than her. I mean, I was about to say gross, but you know what? For some ages, that's perfectly (laughs) fine. For 16 and 26, that's not okay. So, yeah, Victoria really strongly ended up connecting to this. And the quote that they brought in is actually from Mr. Burnson, who is the local bookshop owner that Travis frequents. And they, they have these kind of fun nights where they go around the town they look at trains they hang out in the water cooler they go to this bookshop and mr burnson is barely a character but he does make a very strong impression in the two scenes that we interact with him and one of the things that victoria latched onto was the line i'm tired of many things and this is after travis has been killed so mr burnson says i'm tired of many things i'm tired of watching the world grind sorry no i'm tearing up too (laughs) i'm tired of watching the world grind up gentle people and it's true right like we we really see this in the way that travis's father treats him Mm -hmm. because he he hates travis because travis is his living son and he feels that he is weak and effeminate because he retreats into the world of fantasy and he's not like his older brother who was the hero and the american ideal who went overseas to protect them and then died he very explicitly believes that the wrong son died and yeah i just (laughs) everything about him is despicable as a person Oh my God. It's particularly yeah. 
I mean, he's drunk and he's violent. And I have a framework in my brain for drunk and violent. It's the part where he so resents everything about Travis that makes him who he is. Mm-hmm. And that he would genuinely rather Travis was dead. Yes. And that's his father. You yep. know? And Dr. Blankenship tries to explain this to Lydia at one point. He says, you know, Travis came in for dental surgery and Ooh, the story oh. about why he was getting dental surgery changed like three times. And they said that that happened at work, but mm-hmm. they didn't come in during working hours. It was after hours. hours when he shouldn't have been working. Yeah. And Lydia's like, uh, oh. And that is a major turning point in Lydia's character because it's when she first starts to recognize that it's not just about, like, life's a little easier for me. It's mm-hmm. like, life is dramatically yes. different. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of terrible parents in this book, and primarily they are terrible parents because they don't see any value in their children for who they are. And Dill's father is in this category too, right? Mm -hmm. Dill is basically dead to his father because he didn't lie about child pornography. Dill is dead to his father because he couldn't bring himself to handle a poisonous snake. Mm -hmm. Dill is dead to his father because he doesn't enable his father's... I mean... Yeah. We should probably talk about religion at some point, but there is just such profound, just delusion in the way Dill's father approaches the world, right? Like, mm-hmm. apparently, like, Satan put the child pornography on his computer. Like, okay, you know, I, mm-hmm. his character makes me so angry because he would see his own son go to prison. He would see his own son be mm-hmm. destroyed to protect himself and he's supposed to be the godly character like excuse me and that's just it i kind of felt like i needed to read between the lines and maybe that's just because i've heard the term snake charmer or snake oil salesman before but i really felt like zentner was tapping into this idea that not only is Dill's father not a good person, but he actively knows that he is co-opting religion to get what mm-hmm. he wants. So when he says, you didn't lie for me and that's why I hate you, that to me is so suspicious and deliberate, right? He knows what he did is wrong and he uses Satan as a scapegoat and he uses Dill as a scapegoat. The fact that he openly acknowledges that his son should have lied for him tells me that he doesn't actually believe what he's saying about religion and that Mm -hmm. he was just peddling false ideology to susceptible people and we see that when dill has this interaction outside of his store with uh former members of the congregation who almost get into a physical altercation with him because they now need to drive two hours to get to church You know, it's not just that they blame Dill for what has happened, but they personally blame him for their own hardships. And it's like, this is a 17-year-old boy. What are you talking about? So they're believers in this particularly unique Mm -hmm. sect of Christianity, right? And I mean, snake handling is real. If you're curious and listening, there's a really great episode of Louis Thoreau's documentary series where he goes and lives with a family of snake handlers. Mm. The idea is that you have you have God's protection, right? 
And so you can handle snakes with impunity because you have God's protection. You, right. you feel safe doing things like drinking. I can't remember what he drinks. Hydrochloric acid? What does he drink? Uh, I, anyway. I, yeah. You feel safe doing that because you know you have God's protection. What Dill's father does is he exploits that even further. He takes it to the point of like, you should allow any horrible thing to befall you because mm -hmm. that's what proves your godliness. And right. God, that's self-serving. <laughs> Yep. And the fact that the parishioners are willing to believe that for Dill, he's he's cursed on both sides. The rest of the town looks at him as the son of a child pornographer. Mm -hmm. So it's like nobody wants anything to do with him. Right. And the people in his church who are supposed to be his community see him as disloyal to his father and yeah. and the reason for his father's imprisonment. And they don't want anything to do with him. And I'm just like, this is a child. <laughs> This is mm -hmm. just a child. What is wrong yeah. with all of you? Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the moment that hit the hardest for me in Dill's storyline, and the same for Victoria. I think Victoria comes down even harder on Dill's mom, because Dill's mom is the one who's still there with him, mm -hmm. and she sees his struggle, and she doesn't seem to care at all about what he wants for the future because it's only about what Dill's continued presence means to her. It's the mm -hmm. absence of the father, and it's also just a reminder of, okay, well, you're another mouth to feed in this ramshackle mm -hmm. house, and was he wrong to go against his father? No. Because he would have been lying, and he's a child. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Victoria wraps up their piece on this section by saying, Having heard stories about close family members and friends of someone who has committed sexual assault and harassment, it is mm -hmm. easier to rationalize those behaviors in their heads in order to protect the people being accused, as well as themselves and their perception of the accused. And that really, like, kind of drove it home for me. It's like... Yeah. These people aren't interested in the truth. They're not interested yep. in reality. Their faith has actually clouded their judgment to such an extreme that they are willing to not only hang a 17-year-old child out to dry, but they literally don't care to the point where he is nearly driven to suicide. Mm -hmm. There's so much trauma in this book. Yeah. There's so much trauma and there's so little ability to cope. One of the most sort of, I don't know, magical mm -hmm. moments in the text is when Dr. Blankenship hires a grief therapist no, for my... Lydia and Dill to talk to. How many times have we said, get therapy? <laughs> yeah. Somebody finally does it, Brenna. I guess what? It actually really helps, right? Because, you know, Tea Books and Chocolate pointed out sort of two separate moments with the moms that stuck with them. And they stuck with me too, mm -hmm. I have to say. Yes. Um, Tea Books and Chocolate writes, I'm going to be absolutely haunted by the moms, both when Travis's mom said she isn't a mother anymore Ooh. and when Dill says she is afraid of being alone. Just yeah. two incredibly poignant scenes with two very different characters that pack a wall up. And they're so brief. These women are barely characters in the book. And in each of those instances, it is so devastating you see the parallels though right because in both cases their fear of being alone and the, their sort of lifelong history of being victimized means that they effectively pick their husbands over yes. and over again mm -hmm. instead of their sons and thank god travis's mother leaves his father yes i did love that but not soon enough for travis you know no and 
Dill's mother never chooses Dill. That never happens. Even that moment, it's a very quiet, devastating moment, absolutely. But it's still about her. She Mm -hmm. never acknowledges what's important to him. She doesn't even say, I'm going to miss you. It's about her Mm -hmm. being alone. And I, oh, I lost it, Brenna. I'm so mad. So mad. I mean, the the irony, the deep irony is that, of course, she's alone. She's alone. The thing that would protect her from being alone would be to support Dill. Mm -hmm. To throw her hat in with Dill. To be his support network. Then she wouldn't be alone. But it would mean admitting that she was wrong. Yeah. Or admitting giving up on her husband who, you know, it seems like she spends the entire book waiting for Dill's father to get out of prison. And you're just like, nope, that is the absolute wrong choice. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for us to say, obviously, as readers (laughs) of the text. (laughs) Obviously. But, you know, I loved the last few scenes of the book. I loved how Dill effectively spent his last summer earning a little bit of money to leave his mm-hmm. mother with, bonding with Dr. Blankenship, and yep. hanging out at Travis's grave and talking to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lydia's got a new chapter, but it's a new chapter she always knew was coming. For yeah. Dill, this is literally a it's new life. It's life-saving. Yeah, yeah, it's life-saving, and it's a new life. And it's mm-hmm. just, I wanted it for him so badly, and I loved it so much that he got it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm glad there's no sequel, because I like just imagining it. But also, oh, absolutely. I yeah. so want to check in on Dill and find out how he is. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like the that perfect date when he and yeah. Lydia go and survey the college campus, and he makes eyes at that cute alternative girl and realizes <laughs> that his songs have gotten hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, you know what? Dill's going to be okay. He's going to date that girl. He's going to play gigs. He's probably going to get straight A's. And it's going to be amazing for him. I'm so excited. (laughs) I love that for Dill. (laughs) Fictional character who I strongly related to. I mean, to be honest, Travis was the person I related to the most. Our listeners felt that way too. That was definitely something we heard in the feedback that Travis was, was the one. Yeah. Which I think is also why Zentner kills him. Yeah. I don't know. I leave this book club with the impression that Zenter is a very mean man because he knows exactly how to hurt me. I really enjoyed this. I said this to you offline, but I think there's a lot of autobiography in Dill's character in particular. Mm -hmm. I think that Zentner has been rewriting this idea of how teenagers can save each other in the absence of anyone being there to save them who mm-hmm. should be um over and over again in his books and and effectively like he he writes about rural tennessee he writes about rural poverty that's his thing and mm-hmm. it's a landscape that we don't see a lot of in ya so i appreciate it absolutely yeah the male characters and the regionality and the class issues were very strong i think the female characters were a little bit weaker but yeah it almost to the point made me wish that it was like let's just have a story about travis and dill as much as i appreciate what lydia is there to do the character and some of the other women felt like they were letting the story down a bit I do often think what this book would feel like structurally if Lydia was there as a character but didn't have POV chapters. Uh, mm. But then she might be a little too manic. Pixie dream girl. Potentially, yeah. I think you're right. That's the risk. Yeah. But overall, I really enjoyed this. This was not at all on my radar. I thought you were 
thought you were assigning us a fantasy book. <laughs> I know it sounds like it. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of confusion in this as well. Uh, just being like, oh, the Serpent King. Oh, it's not what I expected. So folks, <laughs> if you listen to this, if you've gotten this far into the episode, now that we're wrapping up and you have not read the book, uh, it is not a fantasy book. It is a realist <laughs> YA we maybe should have said that off the top. The Serpent King is a reference to Dill's father and grandfather. So his father's mm-hmm. the Serpent King because of his ministry handling snakes. And his yeah. grandfather lost himself in grief and loss and, and mm-hmm. effectively had a mental breakdown that involved snakes skins. Yeah, the generational stuff I think could have been explored a little bit more strongly. There's clearly yeah, issues so about like how your relationship with your parents affects who you become, but that felt more like a fable that is in the background that doesn't get yeah. explored as deeply as I would have liked. Yeah, I agree because there is the weight of the family name for Dill. Dill's a third. He's Dillard. I can't remember his last name. The third. Yeah. Um, and so the weight of family names, particularly when the name becomes so tainted as yes. his has, is something that the book pokes a little bit at around the edges, but doesn't delve mm-hmm. into. And I definitely wanted more of that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, quite enjoyable. Good recommendation, yeah. Brenna. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So where are we going for next book club? We are reading Ravensong by Lee Miracle. Joe, we had sad news in the Canadian literary world this week. Mm-hmm. Lee Miracle, who's an Indigenous writer and really a pioneering Indigenous writer when it came mm-hmm. to insisting on space within the Canadian literary landscape for Indigenous writers, she passed away this week. There's a famous anecdote of her at the Vancouver Writers Festival. She's a Vancouver-based writer, and when she was refused an opportunity to speak at the Vancouver Writers Festival, uh, she just got a microphone and started speaking anyway and said, you're here on my territory. These are my (laughs) lands and I'm going to tell you my story. You will listen to me. You will listen to me. I don't care how you feel about it. Yes. So Ravensong is a YA book of hers from the early 90s. So a little bit of a, you know, a look back Mm -hmm. and a change from some of the more contemporary YA we've been doing for book club recently. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. And of course, we've already cued people that they should be uh, quickly reading along because we do have The Darkest Minds coming up next week. And folks, that is a relatively long text. So if you haven't begun, get on it. Toot sweet. Joe and I were exchanging texts about this this week. We're both really liking it. When you get into it, it moves and it's It's interesting. Yeah. But it's... um. I keep putting it down for like mm-hmm. four days at a time. So yeah. I don't know what's up with that. I'm hoping we can unpack some of that this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see how it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Me too. So if you are uh, getting ready to read along with Ravensong, you want to get in touch with us, you know you can find us on the hashtag HKHSPod or on Twitter at HKHSPod. And Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B still my remote and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. And if you want to be like tea, books, and chocolate, Emily and Victoria, and send us in beautiful long form responses uh, to book club, really we great responses. Reading them, they were so good. Um, you can find us at hkhspod at gmail dot com. Hmm. Yeah. So we are going into, I guess, sort of proper, not proper fantasy, special enhanced children next week. Is this what people talk about when they say urban fantasy? I don't know. Maybe. 
Folks, let us know. that up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. I don't think Zentner is saying a family is two parents, but it really takes... Swear to God, stop it. How did you get in here? Sorry, the cat literally hanging off the back of the chair. Oh, fun. George, I'm putting you out. I'm putting you out. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Go. Go. You're going to be a blooper at this rate. Get out. Okay. (laughs) Okay.